I want to preach this morning uh, about God. <laughs> That's a good start, isn't it? Preach about God. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we use a topical thing and we always preach about a theme or anything like that. And I just felt when I was sort of like just preparing and praying and saying, God, I need something to preach about. I felt him say, preach about me. Preach about me. So the best book or one of the best books in the Bible to preach about God and to, to, to really learn about God is the book of Jonah. So I turn to the book of Jonah, chapter one. Did you know that there's records in the British Admiralty that testify about a guy called James Bartley? He was an apprentice seaman on a whaling ship and he fell overboard and in 1891 he was swallowed by a whale. Just off the, well, I said just off the Falkland Islands, 200 miles off the Falkland Islands. But he survived. They caught the whale, cut it open, out came Jim Bartley. Bit, bit smelly. I bet his wife said, ooh, <laughs> you smell a bit. But um, Jonah chapter 1, uh, really, I'd, I'd recommend you read the whole of Jonah. I really was tempted to read the whole book of Jonah this morning because really, take you five minutes, it's such a short book and, uh, and it's a great, great book. Did you know the book of Jonah in the Bible is almost identical to the book of Jonah in the Quran? If you've got a Muslim friend, discuss the book of Jonah with them. Talk about what, how it describes God. Talk about even how Jesus actually says, you know, I will give you the sign of Jonah and what that means. How many people here have got a Muslim friend? If you haven't got a Muslim friend, get one. <laughs> because it's a great, great, not to argue, not to cause animosity, but just to discuss. It's a great, great book. So Jonah chapter one says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah Son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not, will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for, for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? And Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you from? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? 
They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not, let us, uh, do not hold us uh, accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Is there a better story in the Bible? You know, I can remember my Sunday school teacher, how many years ago now is that, um, spending a whole lesson convincing us it was a fish and not a whale. That was the whole content of the Sunday school lesson. It was a fish and not a whale. And, uh, and to me, she missed the whole point of the book of Jonah. You know, it says fish. Some people have a children's book and it's got a whale on the front. You know, really and truly, I, I don't mind. If you're swallowed by a fish or a whale, it's not a great experience. But what does it teach you about God? The book of Jonah, well, it could be renamed... God's pursuing heart and his outrageous grace. Because that's exactly what runs all the way through the book of Jonah. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal said this, to make a man a saint, grace is absolutely necessary. And whoever doubts it does not know what a saint is or what a man is. If you've ever heard of the... Um, the amazing author, Philip Yancey, he wrote a bestseller a few years ago called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he called grace the last great word. He meant that it's one of the last of the great words that has retained some of its original meaning, which is free and undeserved favor. That's its original uh, meaning. Uh, if you like, you too as a, as, a, as a band, they sing a brilliant song about grace and they refer it to being a, a girl's name and so they give it a persona. But the way that it talks about grace is some fantastic lyrics. It talks about grace travels outside of karma. We know karma, get what you deserve, that's karma. It's karma in the Bible, basically. But grace travels outside of that because grace is all about getting what you don't deserve and that's that's the astounding grace of God you know free and undeserved favor we say grace when we thank God for the food don't we we show our thanks when we're eating out with a gratuity that's from the word grace a gratuity Something that's offered at no cost is said to be gratis, free gratis, at no cost. Or if you've got a book that's a little bit overdue at the library, 
you can take it back and not get charged for it because there's a grace period. You're allowed to take it back. Grace is something that, well, is common in Christianity. It's commonly talked about in church. But let me ask you, when was the last time you talked about grace to anyone? When was that? And yet, in church, we talk about it all the time. When my friend went to be a missionary in Nepal, a, a highly Hindu and Buddhist culture, and uh, the Buddhists have not got a word for grace. They have no idea what grace means. It's just something that's just not there. How do you communicate the gospel to a Buddhist? It's interesting. Grace is pretty an amazing thing, and yet so rarely is it on our lips. Philip Yancey points out that part of our problem is in the nature of grace itself. Grace is hard to accept. It's hard to believe. It's hard to receive grace. We struggle with it in ourselves because we feel that we've got to earn everything or deserve something or if somebody gives us something, you know, it's very hard. You know, if somebody says to us, oh, here's a free holiday, you're sort of like thinking, what's the catch? There is a catch because we've, we've always been taught that there's no such thing as a free lunch, is, is we? Or if something's too good to, to, uh, to believe, it, then it probably isn't worth believing in. But, you know, there is no catch with God's grace. There is no catch with God's grace. Grace is hard to accept. It is hard to believe. It is hard to receive. But Philip Yancey goes on to say that grace shocks us in what it offers it's truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. We would save the not so bad people. But there's some people who we just don't like. We just don't get on with. We can't really stand how they live their lives or what they do or what comes out of their mouth. There's always somebody who really gets on our wires, but God's grace extends to them as well. We see some pretty horrendous things on the news. We hear about people getting locked up, and yet, does God's grace extend to them as well? It can do. It can do, and it's there for every single one of us. You know, when Jesus came, he got accused of mixing with the prostitutes and the criminals and the rogues and the, the vagabonds. That's where God starts. And he works downwards from there. <laughs> and yet, his grace encompasses every single one of us. Every single one of us. And the more you read Jonah, the more you get to hear the words of grace coming through. How God deals with Jonah and how Jonah is in and of himself. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It's given to those who don't deserve it, who barely recognize it, and hardly accept it. When, when our team goes out on the streets, and maybe you'll join them for, for hope on the streets, there's people around in Derby who couldn't care less what you've got to say. Don't give a monkeys about what you've experienced about God. And yet, God's grace is towards them. God loves them. They might give you a really rude response when you ask them about, could I spend five minutes with you? 
but God's grace is towards them. And as you ponder this, one thought will hit you in a very powerful way. God is more gracious than you are. You know that. You know that because he saves you. If you were God, you probably wouldn't save you. I know if I was God, I probably wouldn't save myself. He blesses people that I wouldn't bless. He spends time with people that I, I wouldn't choose to spend time with them. He uses people in his service who we wouldn't use if we knew all about them. And yet God does. Which is why we all ought to be glad that God is God and not us. Because such is God's wonderful, wonderful heart. In Jonah 4, verse 2, Jonah quotes how God describes himself. He says this, and he says it in an angry way. You're compassionate, you're gracious, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in love and faithfulness. He's sort of like firing that at God because he's really upset with the fact that God is like that. God himself describes himself as that in Exodus 34. We're actually going through it in the prayer meeting on, on, on Wednesday nights. We're going through it slowly. We're looking at what it means to be a, a, a worshipper of a compassionate God, of a gracious God, of a God who is slow to anger. It's good news for sinners everywhere. Do you know what? Jonah is the world's worst missionary. You're not. Jonah is. And if Jonah can say that about God, so can you. If you've never witnessed to anybody, if you've never shared your faith because you, you feel like you wouldn't have the right words for it, meditate on the fact that God is a compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger. And learn how to communicate that to people. Because there's people everywhere need to know who this God really is. They've got all kinds of cockeyed ideas and philosophies about who God is. They think he's intolerant. They think he's impatient. They think he's wicked in some ways, in the true sense of the wicked, not the modern sense. Actually, no, no it's not, he is good. Grace asks us to accept two things we don't want to accept. And I'm going to ask us to repeat that. First one is there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Let's all say that. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Say it again. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Secondly, if God doesn't save us, we will never be saved. Let's repeat that. If God doesn't save us, we will never be saved. And again, if God doesn't save us, we will never be saved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Nothing more clearly summarizes the true meaning of grace than what comes out of Jonah's mouth in chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation, he says, comes from the Lord. Only from the Lord. Salvation comes only from the Lord. Your salvation doesn't come through how good a person you are. Your salvation does not come through, you know, the songs that you sing or the nice little memory verse that you might have uh, read and repeated that morning. It comes from the Lord and only from the Lord. You can't work your way to heaven at all. It comes from the world's worst missionary. Jonah is not the hero of the book. 
At the beginning, he's running away from God. At the end, he's shaking his fists and arguing with God and sat in a right hump. In between, he's wrestling. He's praying, or sort of praying. He's really angry towards God. He's preaching hellfire and brimstone to the Ninevites. He's not the hero. He's the opposite. But God uses him. So this book is about God. And we can clearly see it this way. The fish is mentioned four times. So it's not worth arguing about. The city is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. But God is mentioned 38 times in just the four very short chapters. Jonah is not the hero of the story. God is. This book is about God and how great his heart is towards people. Sons and daughters who run away from him. God never gives up on Jonah. Not when he runs away, not when he sits under the, 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 the plant, not when he sits and sulks. And you know what? We're all very much like Jonah. We're stubborn. We resist what God wants to do in us. There's Jonah in every single one of us. That's why it's such an important book and God wants to speak, us to, it, speak to us through it. That's why we need not just a little grace, but outrageous grace, divine grace, only the grace that comes from God. So we know Jonah came from a town called Gath Hefer. That's because his dad was from there. It was a little town in the northeastern part of Israel in the region the New Testament calls Galilee. Not from, from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. We know that Jonah spent three days in the fish and then came out alive. We know that Jesus spent three days in the tomb and came out alive. We know that Jesus spent a lot of time in Galilee and around Nazareth. He lived in Nazareth. Uh, that means that Jonah can be compared in many ways with Jesus, or maybe contrasted would be a better word. Jesus refers to Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, when he talks about the sign of Jonah being three days in the ground and then coming back to life. And in Luke eleven thirty, he talks about the message of Jonah that he has. It's similar to Jonah's message. Turn to God. So Jesus has a lot of similarities. That's why it's good to talk to your Muslim friend about that because they know all about that. Ask them what it means. Jonah knew his mission. He knew what his mission was, but he ran away from it. Jesus knew his mission. And in Luke 9, 51, it says, he set his face like a flint to accomplish that mission. He knew that he was going to the cross. His grace for you and I, compelled him to go to the cross, even though it was going to be a terrible, painful, awful ordeal, spiritually as well as physically. I'm sure that most of us have taken a ship to Tarshish at some stage. We've not done what God wants us to do. We felt the Holy Spirit saying to us, go and talk to that person. You say, oh, no, God, I'm not going to do that. And you wrestle, and you wrestle. Let me encourage you. Do it. Do what God says. Isaiah 53 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. So I'm sure we've all done the opposite of what God wants us to do and taken our own ship 
whether it to be Tarshish or somewhere else. We all know what it means to run the other way. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. You might have a version of the Bible that says, Arise, go to Nineveh. And that's literally what it means. Go to Nineveh now. Don't, don't argue about it. Don't spend a bit of time. Don't prepare. Just go to Nineveh now. That's the urgency of God's heart for the people of Nineveh. So we might expect Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh like a good prophet, but he wasn't a good prophet. He wasn't a great missionary. He went totally the opposite way. Verse 3 says that he ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish was a long way away. Well, let's talk about Nineveh first of all. Nineveh was uh, 500 miles northeast of where Jonah was. It's still there today. It's on the outskirts of the city of Mosul in Iraq. And we've heard about Mosul many, many times on our news in the last few years. So that's where Nineveh is. It's, a, it's like a, a, a district of Mosul. Tarshish is another 2,000 miles in the other direction, east, uh, sorry, west, towards Gibraltar. It's in southern Spain. So there was a 2,500-mile gap between God's call on, Joseph's, uh, on Jonah's life than where Jonah actually was. I wonder if God's calling you to do something. I wonder how much of a gap between God's call on your life and where you are right at this very moment. God might have called you a long time ago to do something and that gap has got further and further and further away because you're on your way to Tarshish right now. Let me tell you, turn back, turn back before God makes you do what, what he wants you to do. God said, go east. So Jonah went west. The text says that Jonah went down to Joppa, which was really interesting because he went down on, on two different levels. Physically, Joppa is on the coast, so he had to go down to the coast from where he was. But he was also going down spiritually as well. We know that. If you look at the actions throughout the book of Jonah, you can see how Jonah went down four times. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the hold of the ship. He went down into the sea. And he went even further down in the belly of the great fish. It's no coincidence that God's word keeps using that word down. If you're running away from God, you're going down. You're going down into darker, dingier circumstances. Anytime you run away from God, you're never going up. You're always going down. Don't run away from God. Start going up. It's amazing how one sentence can change your, your life. Maybe, you, maybe we've all had at some stage a phone call and it's completely changed your life. Some, some things are very bad news. Some things are good news. Either way, it's just a few words and it changes your life. These few words from God changed Jonah's life. Either way, his life was turned on a sixpence. Go to Nineveh, preach against it. 
this wasn't a God loves you and he wants to forgive you type of a type of a preach. It wasn't a God's got a wonderful life planned ahead of you type of a type of a preach that God uh, wanted Jonah to do. It was a strong warning. Turn now, turn now, or you will be destroyed. And Jonah didn't want to do it. Go to Nineveh, preach against their evil practices. You know, in that time, Nineveh was in a place called Assyria. Assyrians were well known for their bloodthirsty, awful way of fighting battles. Not just how they combated with people, but what they did to people, the other people as well, what they did to the women and children was horrendous. And they, were, they were, had a reputation for that cruelty and they reveled in that cruelty of the time. They wore it like a badge of honor. The Assyrians particularly hated the Jews. The Jews particularly hated the Assyrians. They hated them for their bloodthirsty cruelty. They hated them for their idolatry, for their arrogance. For a Jewish man to be told by God to go and preach to an Assyrian man in Nineveh or, or people, well, that was the last thing that a Jewish man wanted to do. It was repugnant. As far as Jonah was concerned, well, they could go to hell straight away. You know, as far as Jonah was concerned, Lord, you can push the button. You can pull the trap door. You can let them fall straight into the pit right now. That's how Jonah felt towards the Ninevites. God wants to ask us all today, what's your Nineveh? What's your type of person that you really cannot cope with? That really, you just have this inbuilt hatred for maybe it's another race maybe it's another type of person from a different land maybe it's another person with different opinions there's lots of pressure groups these days you know if i encourage you to get a, a muslim friend get a friend of another faith get a friend of another opinion get a friend of another politics to you it's all good it's all good because it starts the discussion. What's your Nineveh today? Nineveh is whatever pulls you out of your comfort zone. Nineveh is a place that God calls you where you don't really want to go. Nineveh is a people who have hurt you deeply perhaps. And God says, go and give them my message of grace. Nineveh was dangerous. Nineveh was uncomfortable. Nineveh is whatever you hate. And Nineveh is what God loves. That's why the people of the day said to Jesus, why is he spending time with these? Why is he spending time with... Does he, does he not know what they're like? Of course he knows. He knows what every single one of us is like. Why did the re reluctant prophet run from God? Well, he didn't want to go. He didn't care. He didn't think that God should care about Nineveh. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want a God who loved people like that. That was the real point of it. He didn't want God to be like he was, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jonah didn't want a God like that. He wanted to create his own God, it was perfectly fine with him if God sent the Ninevites straight to hell. In fact, that was his preference. But Jonah's problem 
was never ultimately about Nineveh. Jonah's problem with, what kind of a God is this? What kind of a God is this that loves these horrible people? That was his problem. He simply could not grasp God's pursuing heart and his outrageous grace. As you stand back and you look at this story, a question naturally arises. How far will God let us go in our sin? I don't think anyone knows the full answer to that. But it appears that sometimes the answer is that God will let us go pretty far. He doesn't always stop us quickly. How far will God let us go? Why doesn't he stop us sooner? Maybe part of his judgment is not to stop us. A bit like Adam and Eve when they chose their own way. God could have stopped them right there and then and reminded them, I told you not to eat from this tree. Keep eating from the other trees, but not this one. But he didn't. He allowed them to go on in that judgment. And we all know what the ramifications of that was. We, we wrestle with it even within ourselves. God could have arranged things so that the ship didn't go as far as Tarsus. God could have arranged things so that the, the ship had no room for Jonah. God could have arranged things so that Jonah didn't have enough money for the trip. Sometimes God's judgment is simply that God lets us go on in our sin so that we have to face the consequences of our own disobedience. It might be that you're a long way from God right now. It might be that you're wondering, why did I get myself into this mess? Why has God allowed this? He's allowing it because he wants you to realize. He wants you to, he could have judged you. He could have judged you right there and then, but he didn't. He's allowing you to realize and come back. Why did God let the prodigal son go so far away from the father's house? Where Saul is inheritance? Well, he had to do all that to actually come to his senses and turn back to God. One commentator said, this is the severe mercy of the Lord. We do have to face the consequences of our own sin sometimes, but God's grace is still available in that. Romans chapter 1 is a, a chapter that many theologians have wrestled with over the time because it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 24, God gave them over to all their desires. When a society decides that it doesn't need God, his response is not always to bring out the thunder and the lightning bolts. But more often than not, God says, I've warned you about this time and time again. But if that's what you want, I will not stop you. Because you need to know what it's like. And then maybe you'll turn to me. As we consider the beginning of Jonah's sad story, remember that we can run from God, but we can't hide from God. God was with Jonah every step of the way. Though Jonah tried to leave the Lord, the Lord never left him. He's a God who pursues. If you're running away from God this morning, God's pursuing you. God's right on your tail. Even this morning, as I was preparing for this, I was just talking to God, and a friend from my old youth group days, texted me, who's miles away from God. Strangely, he just texted me. 
He, he lives way down south now. Very rarely see him. And he just texted me. He says, you're on my mind this morning. Are you okay? He's not, he's, he's rejected God. He's gone a long, long way from God. But he just texted me and said, you're on my mind. And I said, oh, well, thanks for that. That's, that's good to know. Have you anything I can pray for? And his reply was, where do I start? Who knows what that's all about? God knows. God's pursuing even the people that seem furthest away from him. It's God's patience that allowed Jonah to run away. It's God's wisdom that provided the ship. It's God's providence that sent the storm. But it's God's kindness, kindness that sent the great fish. If God didn't care, he would let us go on in our sin forever. And ultimately, we know that the wages of sin is death and separation from God. But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, says the word. It's God's kindness that sends the great fish. How many people don't really like fish because of the smell of it? It's quite a lot of people don't like fish because they don't like the smell of it. Next time you smell fish, remind yourself, that's what God's grace smells like. That's God's grace. It's a bit uncomfortable. It's hard to receive. <laughs> it's hard to accept. It's outrageous. But that's what God's grace is. Why? Well, because all of us are trapped in sin. All of us need God's grace. All of us need that release. All of us need to be spewed back up onto a beach and for God to say, now get on with it. All of us need that. That's God's grace to us. Every single one of us. Romans 5 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. We've all run away from him. He's never given up on any single one of us. He's pursued us and he continues to pursue us. His mercy saves us and his grace forgives us of all our sins. He wants us to know that his forgiveness and his grace so that we can, we can have relationship with him and know what it is to have that grace relationship so that we can tell others, others that we don't like, about this wonderful God that we have. Let's take a moment just to remember what it was like before we knew God, what it was like before we gave our lives for, to God, what our lives were like, what a turmoil, what a mess, what a heavy burden we were carrying. And then God stepped into our life. We quit running. We accepted his grace. And we felt the benefit of that weight lifted off. If you're a person who wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, that's probably a good description of where you are. You're carrying a heavy burden. You're weighed down. You're wading through treacle. All those metaphors... There's a darkness inside. There's a hole, there's a gap. Let me tell you, that can only be filled by God's grace. You can only get forgiveness from that thing which is called sin if you come to Jesus Christ and you accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian who's grown a little bit disaffected and a bit angry at other people who don't, don't like God, then let God renew that heart people today let God renew that heart and remind you of his grace towards you and how that grace should be towards other people 
Let's all bow our heads, shall we? God didn't give up on us. Our Heavenly Father pursued us because his grace is towards us all the time. Lord, remind us afresh. Remind us afresh of your wonderful, wonderful grace in our lives. Lord, whatever is our Nineveh, whatever people are the Assyrians to us, Lord, help us to be communicators of that grace, livers of that grace. Lord, you saved us. And nothing that we could do would, would bring us any closer to you. It's all of your grace and your mercy in our lives. So, Lord, help us to be a people that show grace and mercy to other people. Help us to communicate your love. And Lord, if we've run away from you, if we've turned away and we're 2,500 miles away from your plan for our lives, Lord, help us to realize, to turn around, to repent of going our own way and to come back to you knowing, Lord, that you're a loving God. You're an accepting God. No matter what we've done, Lord, you love us. You sent your son to die for us. Jesus, remind us of your cross. Remind us of your grace and help us to be people who reach out in that love. In Jesus' name, amen.